whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn, playwright, filmmaker, and professor of communications at American University. During my conversation with Evan Casey about Les Miserables, we discussed the other work of the show's primary composers, Alain Boublil and Claude Michael Schomberg. The conversation is certainly relevant to Les Mis, but the episode was running long and I felt this worked better as a standalone intermission. Also, I very much hope someone picks Miss Saigon in the near future so we can get more into that show. It's a show I'm not very familiar with, and I'm I'm really hoping to sink my teeth into it. But for now, we join our conversation already in progress. Now, how familiar are you with their subsequent work, Schoenberg and Bublos? I mean, it's Uh, Miss Saigon. I mean, I know Miss Saigon. Martin Gare, they wrote to sort of be another big uh, thing that never really came to fruition. Um, Then they wrote, what was that show... They wrote another show that somewhat recently that again. Oh yeah, failed. Something. You're right. They did. They did have one. I remember because it was sort of being. It was like the it Snow was being, Queen or something. What the it was, was being it billed? Uh, the Pirate Queen. Pirate Queen. Uh, 16th century Irish pirate chieftain, and adventurous Grace O'Malley. Oh, I know who Grace O'Malley is. You can Google that. Um, opened in 2006. Was prepared for Broadway at the Hilton in 2007. They worked with Richard Maltby again. And it got a critical savaging and poor ticket sales, and it closed after 85 performances. On Broadway? On Broadway at a loss of the entire, you want to guess the budget for Pirate Queen? $18 million. I was going to say $20 million. Wow. That is insane. And then, like, that year, Les Mis celebrated its 20th anniversary yeah. <laughs> in the West End. So, well, it, you know, when you when you make when you make when you create Les Mis and then subsequently Miss Saigon, which was you know no slouch either at the box office, that thing ran for like what eight but, years, nine years. But how do you feel about this? Is what I, I wanted to kind of get into with how do you know we have we we talked about Android Weber as a force in music theater since let's say 1970, um, and so for the last forty some years he has been a force consistent like, and making shows and selling tickets and doing okay and put out the longest running music musical in Broadway history with Phantom of the Opera. But keeps going keeps coming back into varying levels of success. What do you think it was about Schoenberg and Blue Bill that they how do you feel about Miss Saigon? Oh, um it's you know, it's fine. It's never to, to be honest, I've never I don't think I've ever actually listened to that cast recording start to finish. Like, I mean, I certainly know the show, I know the plot, I know songs from it. Um but it's never, you know, captured my attention or my youthful heart the way <laughs> uh, the way Les Mis did. Um, and it was a it was a hit. It was no, it was sure. not you know it it ran for four thousand performances. Yeah. I mean that's not again that is no slouch right. itself. But is and I know Signature revived it last year. Uh, I think maybe two years ago. Yeah, they did a, a pretty big, sizable production of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it does pop up from time to time, but. We're, we're it has kind of faded into the background um, and has a very, I think, a score that does not even come close to the quality of either lyrically or musically of I think I, cer- I certainly Song think to song, maybe, but no, there but are elements of the show that I think are certainly uh, and elements of the score that I think are great. I think, I mean, I, as on the whole as a score, no, I don't think it stacks up quite to Les Mis. I think it's still a, a solid score. Um, mm-hmm. And... I think there are elements of the show 
that are still, you know, certainly ones to appreciate. I think part of it is that. Uh, I mean, I don't. There I, is a racial component that cannot be ignored in this. Like the, the Miss Saigon has a tortured racial history sure. that would make it harder for a theater to mount and also harder to revive because you would have to take consideration the the tortured history of that show casting Jonathan Price in the in the lead role. Um, even I mean, the casting of Leia Salonga was not without controversy at the time because she's Filipino and the character is Vietnamese. Right. Um, it, it 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 and it has a, a sort of there there is a certain level of, of of perceived racism to it whether it exists or not I I cannot speak to that um, but people I trust say that it does so I will mm. I will take their word for it um, I just I don't enjoy it very much just on a basic level but so it does have a certain more baggage to it than a right. show like Les Mis does but you still think a show that ran for four thousand performances on Broadway in its initial run would have gotten a revival. By now, just the way things just in the way things go, you know, just in the way the cyclical nature of theater and the fact I mean, Les Mis closed in 2003. Its first revival was in 2006. That was originally a limited run that ended up running for 463 performances. Still quite long. And then in 2014, the new revival opened and is still running, but is announced it will close in September. So it's been about two years almost it'll have run. So. You know, they have Miss Saigon, which is a big hit, but right. but not as high quality, I think we could all agree. And then kind of nothing. I mean, a, a precipitous Yeah, again, they did off. Martin Guerin and they tried to do Pirate Queen. And, you know, I I, I certainly think that, uh, what was it? Was Miss Saigon based on anything? Well, Miss Saigon is loosely based on M. Butter, uh, well, of Madame course. Butterfly. Of course, yes. I always said M. Butterfly, which is a whole different show. Um, but... Very loosely. Yes. I mean, it, it, it isn't. It, it, as much as I say, it is not based on Madame Butterfly, in, in it, except in the loosest of ways about a a Western man in the army fall, uh, impregnating a Asian lady. Past that, it really has no sure no resemblance sure, to Madame sure, Butterfly. Sure. Yes, um, but that said, it does it, it does have at least both Les Mis and Miss Saigon have at least the germs of. Of you know, uh, uh, power impactful source material from which to draw ideas and story arc from mm. Martin Gare and Pirate Pirate Queen. Um, well, Pirate Queen's a true story. She's an interesting figure. Oh, I know. But I'm just. But saying, no, no, you're right. That, but it's a true story, do, which is a whole other thing. I'm just saying, in terms of what their style is, and in terms of what they have to offer as a composing team, I don't know if if those. If those other uh, sub p- subject matter is, is as much fertile ground for that, yeah, it, it's just interesting to me that that two people, and then plus Richard Maltby, who worked with them on Miss yeah. Saigon, and then worked with them on their subsequent projects. Obviously, I mean Richard Maltby is is a tremendous music theater presence. That these three people, with Cameron McIntosh producing, couldn't like they couldn't do it more than twice really and really more than once i mean miss miss i aside reading it as a huge commercial success um it it's it still it still feels like it's inexplicable to me that you could write a, sh- a team could write if it would in a way that if it was if it was one guy yeah. book music and lyrics by one of these guys right wrote les mis and then never had another hit that i kind of understand a little more than it for some reason it's inexplicable to me that a team couldn't go through ebbs and flows, or I wonder if it was just because Les Mis was so huge and then Miss Saigon was bigger in some ways than Les Mis from a production standpoint that the shows kind of collapse under their own I think that, weight after a certain point. I think there may be a little bit of that. Um, I think that 
uh, I'm not so sure that I don't feel a bit, a bit of the opposite, that it might actually be easier for someone like um, for someone who's an individual to continue to sort of churn out things when you're sort of your own barometer. Mm. Okay. Um, but I mean, then again, you know, again, speaking of sort of the powerhouse success of someone, you know, Lloyd Webber keeps working with different lyricists. Yeah. Um, and continues so to churn in, out in, in similar iterations, I mean, he's worked with Don Black a couple right. of times. He's worked with, I mean, obviously he doesn't work with Tim Rice anymore. Um, He's had sort of runs at, at collaborators. Yeah, it's just it's it, it's a show like Les Mis that has so much heart and so much passion, and from the score. I mean, yes, you're right. The source material absolutely drives that, but it also, I mean, the score has such. I'm not even talking about tunefulness. I'm just talking about heart. Like it just has a certain level of genuine emotion in it that then kind of. I mean, maybe that was just that was that was all they had to give. <laughs> that was all they had to give. After, I'm not, and it's were enough. Empty vessels after it that. makes a career. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Like it's if if I I hope one day I ever am involved in a show that is half as successful as Les Mis from a creative and commercial standpoint. But it is interesting still that uh, that they couldn't. It, it just never happened again. Well, I mean, I don't. Again, I don't. I I'm do. really giving Miss Saigon a short shrift. I should stop doing that. But well, yeah. yes, I mean, Miss Miss Saigon. I think we could we could certainly say was was immensely successful in its own right. So um, while not as successful as Lim is, few things are as as that's we true. Already addressed that is very true. But um, but I think once you do when you're, f- I don't know. I don't think. I mean, you've done your research. I don't think they wrote anything before Lim is, did they? Well, Schoenberg was a songwriter. Uh, and just of in a sort of general way in France, like, um, like a popular songwriter. Yeah, and he wrote in the seventies. He wrote a, a hit, a number one hit in France, and then after that, in nineteen seventy eight, he and Boublil got together and started working on okay. Les Mis. And as I say, it opened in in France in uh, like nineteen eighty in Paris. At the, it, it, so it means two years to write it, which makes perfect so, sense. So. Yeah, I mean, this was that was the only show they worked on for like ten years. Right. So, so basically, the only thing they worked on is so their first. So, their first musical becomes, at the time, basically the biggest success after Cats. And there's, I mean, yeah. at that moment in time, you're not really necessarily comparing it to something else. You're just noticing that it, this thing is going to run forever. Right. Um, and I would think that regardless of what. Uh, you know, uh, creative outlet you're choosing, whether it's uh, music or playwriting or acting or whatever. If you do something that's a mega, mega success, I mean, I can certainly appreciate this as an actor, although I'm not, you know, a, a big film star. But if you do some movie where you're like, it's why people get afraid of branding. You know, if you, right. if you do something and you're, and that's like you, you do whatever. You are Katniss Everdeen or you are Harry Potter or whatever. Mm-hmm. It takes a, it's a hard time to break away from that. And I think for these guys, you know, I certainly can't speak to that specifically, but it, it would seem like if you create something that's a mega, mega smash success and you're trying to recreate those elements every time and that's, a recipe for disaster. It is. A, it, you brought up an interesting point with you say this is their first musical. These are two guys who were songwriters. And it is an interesting distinction between coming from the theater, which Lloyd Webber, I mean, Lloyd Webber was a theater writer mm. and a classically trained composer. Um, and just like, you know, Stephen Sondheim or Bach and Harnick or Kandra Neb, I mean, these people are theater people, whereas Schoenberg and Bublil are songwriters who have written a musical, Bublil, a little bit more of a dramatist, but certainly not a, a like a writer of many musicals before Les Mis. So maybe it is just a lack of this isn't their wheelhouse in maybe. the same way. Like they write because I feel that 
one of the reasons I'm kind of down on Miss Saigon is I do feel there are some great songs in Miss Saigon. Oh, yeah. I think um, until, I, I mean, the opening number is great. The heat is on in Saigon. sort of realize it's a rip-off of uh, Mama Told Me Not To Come by Three Dog Night, which was a very disappointing day for me. Mama told me not to come. Mama told me not to come. Yeah, I remember that as well. Back to back. Um, the, uh, and a lot of the songs the engineer sings, I mean, The American Dream, If You Want to Die in Bed, um, Bouidoy, I mean, anybody who went to school for music theater and went to a recital of a baritone has heard Bouidoy. There come Bouidoy, the dust of life, conceived in hell, and born in strife, we are their fathers and our family, a loving home they never knew, because we know deep in our hearts that they are all our children too. And it is a gorgeous song. I might say more a tenor, but yes. Okay, or tenor. Sorry to say. Um, Only because and, as a baritone, that song would be very difficult for me to sing. Okay, oh, that's true. He's got that really high born in strife right. part. That is a tenor Yeah, song. it's fine all for right. a while. Like, like, <laughs> most, like, like most tenor songs sung by a baritone, it's fine until like the, like, you know, the two minute 47 <laughs> second mark and then you're like... Oh, this A? The original cast was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, Imani Mular, and the tireless staff of students who man the front desk. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. If you're in the D.C. area, my 10-minute play The Ferberizing of Coral is part of the 2016 D.C. Source Festival as part of their Secrets and Sound block. For tickets and performance information, visit sourcefestival.org. You can email us at originalcastpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, comments, concerns, public admissions of guilt, and or suggestions for future intermissions. Subscribe to the original cast on iTunes, and while you're there, please give us a comment and a rating so other people can find the show. My thanks to Evan Casey for coming down and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. <laughs>